All right, welcome back to 12-Pack Radio, everyone, the most interesting podcast in your face covering Pac-12 football. This is Brian Conger, the host of 12-Pack Radio and Wildcat Radio, and I am really excited about this episode. We have a very special guest, the... uh, the guru, the oracle of Southern California, Alicia De Artola from the Reign of Troy podcast. What's going on, Alicia? Hey, thank you. I was, I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I like the guru, guru oracle kind of, kind of tag there. I'll take it. <laughs> you guys do such a good job at Reign of Troy, and your podcast is excellent. So if uh, if you're listening to the Twelve Pack Radio podcast feed. Uh, I know we have SC fans. Um, if you don't listen to the Reign of Troy podcast, you are missing out. The, you have a, they have access. They do incredible work, both written and on podcast feeds. So definitely check them out. And, um, and, and Alicia, I want you to kind of talk a little bit about what you have coming up. But before you do, we're, of course, joined by Mr. Rob Bauer. What's going on, Rob? Oh, I am uh, I am super excited to be here for this, uh, this podcast. I have my... Uh, I am ready to shoot down flaming Cliff Kingsbury hot takes uh, that have been <laughs> circulated on the internet. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to talk about uh, Sad Tuesday and Happy Tuesday with the USC football program. And um, but Alicia, well, let me let me ask you this, Rob. How did you first learn about what uh, was going on at Reina Troy and Alicia's work? I actually heard about it through you, <laughs> to be frank. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean I think that. Uh, they really stand out among all the the folks that really cover USC. Um, I think both for their level of access and their commitment and that they do still run a, a good amount of their content out there for free. Um, you know, where they're with just the advertising model to support it. And that's, I think, uh, really unique among uh, the folks that put kind of put out the kind of depth of analysis that, uh, and have the access that they do. Yeah, and Alicia, you're getting into basketball, and you have a Patreon uh, kind of additional access thing too. What, so, what's going on there? Yeah, the, the checks will be in the mail for this infomercial uh, later this week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm really flattered. I, I very much appreciate the uh, the uh, the kind words. But yeah, we uh, we are on Patreon, so we have, uh, like you said, we have the main show that we put out for free with ads, and then we also have the supplemental patreon where we do uh bonus episodes tons of tons of extras that we do and uh and this week yeah we're starting a basketball podcast so as as of yet untitled basketball podcast that uh, will be the first episode will be recorded today and uh yeah we're just going to be talking with uh justin hayato one of our writers on rainatroy.com about the basketball team which is already very very disappointing so i think there will be some uh, some ranting that we're going to be doing at least justin i i I peripherally sort of get basketball. It's not my favorite sport, so I'm not as deep into it. But Justin knows his stuff, so I might just sit there being uh, unhappy with the with the progress of this team, and I'll let him be the expert and and say what's actually going on and what's not. All, all I know is I was on hand for USC losing to TCU by like 
75 and that was <laughs> yeah less than stellar yeah <laughs> well there's a lot more that you guys cover obviously on the football front and i'm sure that you're going to continue doing that coverage because holy goodness it was a heck of a year for usc and i want to preface before we get into what happened this year and the coaching changes that were made by uh, this is kind of my thesis and the basis in which i'm going to ask these questions is that i think that the pac-12 is better when usc is better every conference i think gets stronger when they have a name brand program that is operating at the highest level. It gets programs that are smaller and don't have as many funds. Obviously, it's a little bit frustrating when you face a bunch of five-star players year after year, but it does, I think, raise the competition. It raises the access and the the kind of uh, perception of the, the Pac-12. And it's always fun when a, a team like Utah or Washington State or Arizona or Arizona State knocks off a team like USC, particularly in a good year, because we need that strength of schedule to get those bowl games to get to a point where we can get somebody in the um, the college football playoff. So I'm going to preface all of that. So if you're a USC fan, this isn't a let's all dump on USC this this week. It's more just a let's figure out what the state of the program is and kind of walk through the coaching changes that happen. So with all that said, Alicia, what what are USC fans? What, what is their perception of what happened this year and of Clay Helton? Very negative, uh, pretty much across the board negative. I don't think I've seen the USC fan base this united in an opinion as, as sort of happened at the tail end of the season with regards to Clay Helton five and seven is just not acceptable at USC. It is, it is pure and utter failure at USC, especially when you look at, there is no team that is more talented than USC in this conference. Washington is a better team than USC. Utah was a better team than USC this year. Washington state, all of these teams have been, have definitely risen uh, to a level that they that they you, they can call themselves legit in the conference, but still, every single week USC goes out in the field, they have more talent objectively than anyone else they play. So five and seven is absolutely unacceptable, and that's me speaking for the USC fan base because I've I've heard this from the USC fan base across the board, uh, from from the people who were anti Helton to begin with, to the people like myself who were ready to give Clay Helton the chance and and liked what the results of the first two seasons of the Clay Helton era, even if we were all a little bit uncomfortable with, well, is he going to win a champion? Does he have championship caliber, uh, uh, a ceiling for himself uh, to the people who were rah, rah pro Helton from the beginning, pretty much everyone turned on him by the time USC ended the season five and seven. And, and for good reason, because you can't lose to Cal, you can't use ASU, you can't lose to UCLA. And, you know, you can lose to Notre Dame if you haven't done all those things before then. So generally it's been negative. I think the majority of the fan base wanted to see USC move on from Clay Helton. And so the majority of the fan base is pretty unhappy that Clay Helton is going to be around for 2019. I remember when we were talking last year or coming into this season uh, and, and you had kind of talked about what was going on with the USC fan base where, yes, USC had a good season last year, but it was the blowout losses to Ohio State and Notre Dame where we, we have announcers saying that, oh, USC is going to miss Helton when they make the playoff. And or, oh, USC is winning the Pac-12 South. Isn't that great? Like, that's not how this fan base (laughs) sees itself. And it shouldn't like this is a national power. So, Rob, can you talk a little bit more to that and then uh, ask your question? Then we'll kind of go back and forth here. Yeah, I I think that a lot of USC, like last year, we talked about that those that Ohio State loss and that Notre Dame loss, I think, left a bad taste in a lot of USC fans mouths because, yeah, you dominated a bad Pac-12, but 
you went out on your national stage and the, the programs that USC usually measures themselves against, those were, those were not competitive losses this season. I mean, I, I was shocked <laughs> that Clay Helton kept his job after losing to UCLA. Um, and I, and I, had to, and I was the one on the, on the podcast saying like, Oh, you know, Lynn Swan, I think he values continuity. I think that there is some fear of, you know, how often they've turned over coaches of late. Um, but I thought even with that, he'd be gone after losing to UCLA. Um, and I, I just, I think a lot of USC fans have sort of talked themselves into it, this being a sort of transition year on offense. Um, but I guess the question I would have is, are USC fans going to be patient next year? If the offense turns it around with Kingsbury, you guys lose a ton on defense. Like what if the defense isn't, as, you know, isn't very good next year. Is it yet again, a transition year can help and survive that. That's the, I mean, that's the question for Lynn Swan, I guess. I, I think, I don't think that USC fans can ever, I, I think Helton has lost the fan base and I don't think he is capable of achieving what he would need to achieve in order to turn people's opinions of him around. And that would be in 2019 winning a national title. Like I don't yeah. know that I don't know that USC fans will accept anything less. And that is so unreasonable. Like USC's not gonna like I talk about USC's talent, but this is still not a roster that's going to, you know, beat an Alabama. This is not a this is not a roster that's gonna beat a Georgia or an Oklahoma at this stage. So I think I think Helton is is uh, he's on borrowed time. So the Cliff Kingsbury hire is a, a very, very encouraging sign. And I do think that USC fans should and, and do expect the offense to be better in 28 in 2019. But as for patience, I, I just think the patience is, is the patience happened in September. Like the patience was losing to Texas and feeling like that was really, really bad. But you know what it's USC could still rally here. Like the patience was lost against Utah. The patience was lost against Cal and ASU. So I don't, I don't basically the first moment that USC stumbles in 2019 will be the moment that the, you know, the banner plane is flying over the Coliseum calling for Clay Helton to be fired again. It's the moment that USC will end up with 30,000 people in in the Coliseum, like uh, because people are just going to stop going. Uh, It's, it's, the kind of thing that I think is is kind of too far gone, and Cliff Kingsbury is a is a band aid. But you're right about the defense. The defense loses the the key 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 players, and USC has a roster that is talented enough to plug in some guys and 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 go from there. But it's also going to reflect poorly on Clay Helton if this defense this year is this coming year is not good. There's a lot of USC fans who are looking at this and saying, well, you should have fired Clancy Pendergast. So there won't be patience there saying, oh, it's a transition year for the defense, because I think in the hearts of many USC fans, it should have been a transition year in the sense of putting in installing a new a new system. If you're installing a new system on offense and defense, maybe there's a little bit more of leeway. But the decision to keep Clancy Pendergast on board kind of is going to undercut any patience that Clay Helton might ask for when it comes to transitioning into this new stage of, of where this defense is at losing all those seniors. Like, you know, you lose Cam Smith, but you're going to plug in Pali'i and Aoteote and USC fans are incredibly excited about this young freshman who came in and looks like, like he has all American written all over him. 
So, you know, it's not like, it's not like USC fans are going to look at this defensive lineup and think, Oh, well, it's going to be really, really bad this year. I think USC fans will look at it and say, if it's bad this year, it's because Helton didn't make the tough decision to get a new defensive coordinator who could get more out of the talent. That's a really good point. And I was going to go with Kingsbury here and start with that, but let's start with Clancy, uh, Clancy Pendergast because by all measure, he is a respected defensive coordinator. And I think most coaching, like if, if you were to hire a defensive coordinator, he would be at least somebody that you would take a look at if he was available. What have been some of the failings of uh, this past year with this defense? Because one of the things that was so exciting about USC coming to this year was how many freaking awesome players you have. And I know like, I understand that it was an injury ward. I mean, it was like a hospital ward, basically looking at SC's injuries going into this year. I understand that and throughout the season. With that said, you still had Marvell Tell, who is one of the best safeties in the country, and you had Cam Smith, and you had Porter Gustin for most of the year, not all the year. I understand he was injured. But those are just like three, and, and then you had all these other really talented players on the field who just couldn't put it together on the defensive front as much as I think people thought that they would. What what was the slippage that happened there? Can you like pinpoint the biggest problems? Oh, I didn't even yeah, mention Iman Marshall, by the way. Like, I was going to yeah. say, Iman Marshall had a bananas, <laughs> like sneaky great year. And I, sorry to like, like really just my little spin on this is like, how did Pendergast not do more with the shutdown corner on one side of the field? Because I just feel like if I had him and Marshall... I would have awesome numbers because I would be shutting down the team's but other team's best wide receiver. Absolutely. I mean, and, and Iman Marshall not being an all pack 12 first team selection. I, I, I can't complain about the guys that were in there cause they all were deserving, but it just feels like, man, how did, he had such a good season? How is he not all pack 12 uh, or first, first team? But it's, it's very difficult. I have to start this out by saying I love Clancy Pendergast. I really do. But I was also somebody who finished this season saying that USC needed to move on because it just wasn't working. It's it just there's there's many like you mentioned, the injuries played a huge, huge role. And you can't like I feel like you have to start there because to understand what happened to this defense, you have to understand that USC struggled to create a pass rush without Port Augustine. And USC had Cam Smith, who is the best player on the field for most of most defensive snaps. Uh, out for for three games and uh, opposite Iman Marshall, you ask how did USC end up with you know not getting more opposite Iman Marshall they really struggled between the young freshman who was really promising Elijah Griffin getting injured um, Isaiah Langley was in there as a senior corner opposite Biggie but he's just he's kind of average and I think the teams took advantage of that um, the safety situation by the time you get to the Notre Dame game like I don't know how much you guys paid attention to that, but by the time you get to the Notre Dame game, USC for the second half of that game has a true freshman walk on who is playing at safety alongside a true freshman cornerback who was converted to nickel, who was converted to safety because of all the injuries. And at nickel, you had to move the guy who was playing safety for you because all of the safeties got injured back to the nickel spot to accommodate a hip injury to the backup nickel who came in. Like I'm wrapping myself in, 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 and, and all the while the, the weak side linebacker was injured. John Houston was injured. Like it got stupid by the end of the season. So I don't know how much to trust the numbers, but once you take the injury stuff out of the equation, here's where Clancy Pendergast lost me. The situation that they were dealing with was very difficult, but he's very stubborn. 
he sticks to the to the game plan that he comes into a game with and sometimes it works extremely well and sometimes it doesn't and when it doesn't he has no answers see the ucla game ucla ran all over usc because the the defense that usc put out there was not enough to stop ucla and clancy stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck it stuck with it until josh kelly had 300 plus yards rushing and usc didn't have didn't have an answer he Clancy is not quick to trust particular players. So he gets his 11 that he, that he feels confident in and then he plays them and overplays them. Porter Gustin gets injured because he's playing at the end of the Colorado game instead of being subbed out for a younger player. Um, Marvell tell got overplayed. Cam Smith got overplayed. Yeah. I mean, these guys get rushed back from in from minor injuries, get rushed back because there is no confidence in the guys that are behind them. And part of that, you like, I understand the idea there, but part of it is also, if you don't trust your backup players to do the job that you trust your senior veteran starters in there, then maybe accommodate them and accommodate the younger players and find a system that will work for them. Paula Ionateote is, is the, is the perfect example Nateote comes in, in in place of Cam Smith because Cam Smith is injured at middle linebacker. And he looks spectacular. He looks like a freshman still, but you can see the core of that future All-American right there in him. He has a bad game against ASU where he, he misses a bunch of assignments. And so they basically bench him for the rest of the season, more or less, until they're forced to play him in the season finale at weak side linebacker. This kid has clear talent. There is no question this kid has talent. But because he misses a few assignments at middle linebacker, they don't trust him to do any job for them. When when they have a, a, a walk-on filling in for John Houston at weak side linebacker against UCLA, a walk-on who was a fullback that got converted, instead of putting in the true talent of this five-star <laughs> yeah. kid, they just continue with the walk-on. Like that's the, the, So when I'm talking about like Clancy, what is the fatal flaw for him? It's, it's basically comes down to he's too stubborn. He, he doesn't make the adjustments that he needs to make. He doesn't trust the players that he should maybe trust. And then he doesn't put those players that he doesn't trust into positions where he could perhaps trust them more. I think he expects too much of his players. It's very much an NFL mindset. And I think he forgets that he's dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds who aren't professionals and aren't going to be as well-prepared as he, as he would like them to in a perfect world. Well, this this USC defense they didn't they didn't finish out great. They graded out number forty three in the model I run at Beta Rank. Um, they were number thirty six against the pass, even with that makeshift pass defense. Emin Marshall had that good of a year shutting down yeah. <laughs> one side of the field, um, but they only graded out at number fifty five against the run. Um, and a lot of what I saw with USC was that their their front four with Gustin out. They're just not eating up blocks. Um, and they were struggling to get to the, the quarterback some of the time, too, uh, just rushing for. But, I mean, there were a lot of guys coming free to come and block your linebackers. Um, and I, I know they, they they did relieve the defensive line coach of his duties. <laughs> yeah. Um, and did you, I mean, did, you, did USC fans start, I mean, did you start to notice? Because I was surprised that given how much talent they had, how, um, how little of an effect the defensive line was often having on the game. Absolutely. That was one of the, I would argue one of the biggest disappointments in pure, in pure performance terms, you look at the secondary and you understand it just got so injury hit. You couldn't even really expect anything from them, but the defensive line stayed pretty healthy and the defensive line has so many, 
so many intriguing pieces. J2 Fele, Marlon Tupelotu, Brandon Peely. Those guys are, are guys that when they were brought in as recruits were looked at as, man, those guys are going to be really good. A few of those guys are going to make it to the NFL. And they just never performed up to that level. And they're, they're all still young, so I understand that. But, yeah, Kenichi Deze was not out of that group what USC really needed to get from him. Like you said, they, they struggled to be consistent against the run. They couldn't generate a pass rush from, from the defensive line. All, practically all of USC's uh, pressure on the quarterback had to come from the outside linebackers or blitz or sending blitzes or, or the like. And if they didn't, if they weren't blitzing, there was just quarterbacks were able to sit back there for, for days and, and pick the defense apart. So the, the defensive line felt very underperforming for the level of talent that it, that it appeared that they were going to be able to have this year. And it's weird for USC fans because everyone loves Kenichi Udeze. He's a Trojan legend. And I think everyone wanted to see him succeed but when it comes down to it, he was a first-time defensive line coach that USC hired after he was a grad assistant. So USC kind of asked for this. When you when you bring in somebody who doesn't have the experience to work with, I think, different kind of players and to figure out uh, how to get the most out of out of the, the, those guys, you, you sort of ended up in a situation where maybe maybe Udeze didn't have the wealth of, of experience or knowledge from years of doing this to, to know exactly what would make J2 Fele tick or what would make Marlon Tupelo to tick or what, you know, what could elevate that group? It's, it's, I think one of the biggest focuses that's going to be on this off season is finding a, a defensive line coach who will get more out of that defense. Because if I'm Clancy Pendergast and I'm trying to convince Clay Helton to keep my job, what I, and, and there have been murmurings that Clancy was not the biggest fan of, of Udeze and that they, they didn't have a great, relationship in terms of sort of fit so if i'm clancy i'm looking at it and saying saying to to clay helton listen my defense is super aggressive and it only works if the defensive line is you know if everything's starting from up there if we're winning the battle in the trenches so let me get rid of this guy and bring in bring in somebody that i think is going to be a a better foundation for my defense and 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 it'll get better like i think that's what if if you're an optimistic usc fan that's the way you're looking at it from the sense of if you fix the defensive line, a lot of the problems on that defense get fixed instantly. Oh, I totally agree with you. The positional coaches are so important, and that's the reason we were so high on Cal uh, two years ago. When you looked at Justin Wilcox, I was like, oh, well, you know, whatever, Justin Wilcox. But then we saw the staff that he hired. I'm like, holy crap, this is this is an awesome staff. Now, uh, yeah, maybe eat some crow on that offensive side, but the defensive coaches <laughs> that he hired uh, have really pulled through. And the one thing that is missing from what we're talking about in terms of the defense is the offense, because um, this when you leave a defense on the field, no matter how good they are it's gonna be a problem if your offense isn't efficient and it's not putting drives together and obviously JT Daniels was a quarterback that had a lot of hype coming into the season but certainly didn't live up to it uh and, and yeah I understand like he's like I think he's 18 right is, is he he's 18 they, they made yeah, it seem like he was 18. 15 they're like oh this 14 oh, year old kids on like ah, I'm pretty sure he's pretty old <laughs> He was held back in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, still, you know, I understand. True freshman. He's young. Um, I am curious to see 
what um, Cliff Kingsbury brings to this offense. I know it was a big splash hire. I'm excited about it. I think having him on USC is pretty exciting because if you just look at USC's drive efficiency last year, it was like 121 <laughs> out of 130. Oh. Like That offense oh. could not oh. move the football at all uh, on the ground nor in the air. I'm, I think the biggest question that a lot of people are asking, I'm sure Rob will probably pile onto this like uh, later as we talk about Cliff Kingsbury, is everybody thinks about the air raid with Kingsbury. And look, I understand that they ran the ball whatever that stat people throw out is like oh they ran the ball more than stanford did they were still 109th in the country in terms of yards uh per game on the ground and they were 93rd in terms of attempts so it's not like he was handing the ball off a ton and i when i see this higher i get it like i'm assuming kingsbury can walk and chew gum at the same time like this is a very bright offensive mind i understand that but i also have that little reservation in the back where i go sc has always been known for great running backs moving the ball on the ground and obviously great quarterbacks too but it almost seems like every year you have two or three guys that are just you don't even have to worry about who the next guy is at usc at why at uh, running back just because it's always stacked you're always able to move the ball that wasn't the case this year and how is kingsbury going to bring that run game back or is he I mean from what you know so far is that part of the plan or is it going to be more focused on keeping the ball in JT Daniels hands and hoping that he progresses over this year just knowing what I know about Clay Helton's approach to offense I I think Cliff won't be coming in and doing a full-blown air raid I think he's going to bring the air raid but they're still going to put an emphasis on running the ball Um, I've, I've sort of keyed into I believe it's 2015 when Texas Tech had uh, DeAndre Washington get a thousand yards uh, as a as a, as an effective rusher in that offense in that Texas Tech Texas Tech offense with uh, Patrick Mahomes, I think that will be the thing that they key in on. Is listen, we can have a really effective passing offense, and that's going to open up the run for us. Uh, the thing about the thing about Kingsbury's and and the air raid and all of the the identity of USC football and you know student body left and 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 all of that is that. The reason that those USC teams were effective back in the day with the, with the running backs who were all great is because they had an identity and they stuck to it and they did those things well. And I think USC fans are at the stage looking at it right now where any kind of identity is good, even if it means <laughs> running an air raid. Like, just give me, give me, a, give me a, an offensive coordinator who knows what they want to do instead of what we called T. Martin's offense, the gumbo offense, because USC wanted to be good at everything. And so they were the, the jack of all trades, master of none. And based on what I understand about Kingsbury is Kingsbury is a, you know, keep, keep things simple and run these until we're perfect at them. And I think USC will benefit from that greatly. And USC fans will appreciate that if points are getting put up on the board. Uh, my, my thing about the spread and about those kinds of concepts for USC has always been USC fans will embrace the spread. If the spread is putting up points, I mean, on our podcast this uh, over the last week, uh, my co-host Michael found an article in the LA Times back when USC hired Norm Chow describing his spread offense. Like <laughs> Norm Chow was supposed to come in and revolutionize USC's offense by making it spread. <laughs> so I know <laughs> yeah. it wasn't capital S spread, but the point was that Norm Chow was bringing concepts to USC's offense that the traditional died in the world USC fans would look at and say, no, the, the, that's gimmicky, you know, but Norm Chow I- implemented these things and USC's offense went crazy put up a 50 points a game and everyone was happy and now <laughs> like, I, have, I have really few 
Gatorade was derived off the offense that was Norm Chow used to run at BYU. Right, right, exactly. So like, <laughs> all of these labels are just kind of like they're just out oh. there. What people want to see is, I mean, the people talk about NFL offenses. Like, watch the Patriots, watch the Rams. Like, they're not, they're not running like I formation kind of. You know, the, the, the times have changed. So my whole thing is, if Kingsbury installs an identity in this offense. And Kingsbury puts USC's playmakers in positions to succeed, which is going to be my talking point all offseason. It's just put your players in positions to succeed because if I can narrow down USC's five and seven season into one thing, it's USC did not put their players in position to succeed. Like then, then, then it all work out. And Kingsbury having an identity of any, of any kind will instantly improve this offense. I don't know if it's going to improve it. Like they averaged 26 points a game this year. Can they average 30? They absolutely should. I would yeah. take that just from the start, just average 30 points a game and we're, and we're rolling. I mean, if you can get up to 35 or whatever it is that Kingsbury averaged at Texas tech, then that's wonderful, but you got to sort of walk before you can crawl. So just putting even one more touchdown on the board, a game would be a huge welcome change. I mean, I, sorry. So I will have a question in here. I just like people say insane things about offensive football and it drives me bonkers. So like USC spent the majority of this season in 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end. (laughs) Yeah. Most, most spread teams play, you know, like 11 personnel. If they have, if they have a decent tight end, if you don't have a decent tight end, like you, it's, it's actually hard to recruit a good tight end that can both block and catch the ball. This drives Bryant crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like a lot of teams like Washington, this Washington states of the world, the Texas techs, the world, they don't recruit. They like, they just don't bother because it's hard to get those guys and you're not going to get them to come to Lubbock or, you know, the Palouse. So it's a lot easier to recruit another good slot receiver. So you run out with four wide receivers on the field, just, like simple personnel, but like Oklahoma, I mean, in the, among the crazy things that people say about the area, that like you've, you, the area's never won a championship. Like Oklahoma won a national title running the air raid in 2000. Yeah. Like o- Oklahoma was a legit full on air raid team. Now Oklahoma had a talented tight end. And so they were often in 11 personnel, but that tight end was running air raid routes. Like I don't, and Lincoln, like what I fully expect Cliff Kingsbury to do because he's a very bright guy and he, he definitely has kept an eye on what's going on in Oklahoma. And he doesn't have that kind of personnel at Texas tech that he could copy a lot of what Oklahoma does, but Lincoln Riley meshed air raid concepts with, you know, a power, you know, counter running scheme and Oklahoma dominant. I mean, is a dominant run team as well as, you know, an excellent passing team. I fully expect Kingsbury to be in 11 personnel quite a bit running, you know, a lot of power, you know, it'll, in some ways it'll look like, uh, some of the, uh, the one back offenses like Dennis Erickson used to run at Miami, Joe Tiller ran at Wyoming and Purdue, um, where you can really run up. I mean, you can see some, some pretty good power running numbers in there. Um, you know, running off tackle and between the tackles. And I, I just, I don't buy it. Like they're like, this is Kingsbury is such a great hire for USC. Like if you can hire a good scheme, hire a good scheme. If you can hire a good play calling, hire it. Like it matters more on offense than defense. Like I don't, I don't understand people's like just bananas talk of like, 
because they get they get caught up in like identifying the air raid with Mike Leach, and Mike Leach runs a particular type of the air raid. He's mostly been in like I mean on the fringes of college football in Lubbock and at Washington State, um, but the air raid's a lot more than that. I mean, there are a lot of coaches like Oklahoma's been mostly an air raid team. Um, Hal Mummy is sort of the godfather of the air raid. He was at Kentucky for a while. I just I don't know people people just say nutty nutty things about this like. And I fully expect USC to still field a competent defense. People, it's like the other, like people will say things like you can't run a good defense with the air raid. Like that's, that's crazy. I, there's no logic that makes that work that underlies that. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I am so in favor of the Kingsbury hire. Like I'm so impressed that USC pulled it off. I fully expect this offense to do considerably better, but here's the question I have. Like, would you be surprised if it's not JT Daniels next year? Because like, I just have the three and bring the fire. No, because I watch a lot of <laughs> football this season. JT Daniels did not get any better. He just didn't No, like he did not make any progress. And like the, the air raid, like as you saw with Gardner Minshew this year, this year up in at Wazoo um, and Lincoln Riley, like his, his, two quarterbacks that he's won high back-to-back Heisman's with like having the right guy executing this offense is critical. And it's almost like you just have, like you don't have to have the best arm. You don't have, I mean, the Gardner Minshew certainly does not have the biggest arm. Like you just have to put the ball in the right place. You have to make it through the progressions. And from what you've seen, I mean, would you, would you, I mean, I would you would you expect Daniels to have the job locked up? I, I guess I wouldn't, but I it's tough to say. What I would like to see is to for USC to go into spring camp and have a true competition, reopen the competition between JT Daniels, Jack Sears, and Matt Fink, and then give them all a real shot. And that one thing I do like about Kingsbury is he has made quarterback changes uh, that have been difficult, and that and that he is prioritized sort of that, that feeling uh, where, you know, going uh, over Davis Webb and, and going with the, what he saw in Mahomes and, and the like. So I like, I think there's a possibility that he gets on campus and he sees Jack Sears, what the potential of Jack Sears could be that my worry is Jack Sears does pretty much is not a practice quarterback. He, he seems to me like a game guy and that might hold him back, but I, I would like him to at least get a fair shot. Now, that is what I want. What I think will happen is this. JT Daniels, like, wins the the PR battle because JT Daniels is by everyone who's ever worked with JT Daniels has raved about his football mind, about the way that he processes football information. And he wows people with his intellect, every person that that, that gets him in, a, in that room. So my suspicion is that he is going to wow Kingsbury with his intellect and that that will ultimately decide the quarterback battle. Now the the hope for, for USC fans would be that USC did a stupid thing and hired a first time quarterbacks coach to foster JT Daniels in his freshman season. And maybe what will happen is Kingsbury gets his hands on JT and May have you know creates that success that you talked about. You didn't see that 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 growth in him that you would have wanted to see by the end of his freshman season, which obviously wasn't there. But it's it's going to come down to 
how bold does Kingsbury want to be and you know, how much is he going to get sort of fall into this orbit of JT brain worship or whatever. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, <laughs> it's just the way people talk about JT once they meet him and once they talk to him in football terms, everyone seems to get sort of fall head over heels in love with, with who he is as like a, a mind. So that's going to be the hurdle for Kingsbury to, to deal with. Cause he could get a ton out of JT Daniels. He could ultimately decide that he'll get more out of Jack Sears. He could even decide he'll get more out of Matt Fink, who, you know, like you said, limited arm. But if Matt Fink is making the right decisions out on the field, then he's making the right decisions. Uh, but that's that's going to be the very, very interesting thing to watch this, this offseason is, you know, Jack Sears lost the job because he wasn't getting it done in the QB room, like in, in the film room. And JT won the job because he's JT and I, I think Kingsbury might, might get, yeah, might, might fall into that same, not that that might be a bad thing. Cause I think he could ultimately benefit him, but that's how I think oh. it'll go. I mean, Nick Foles was not a good practice quarterback at Arizona. Like he consistently lost the job coming into camp and then like he won the job finally in game. So I don't know, yeah. like Kingsbury seems like a guy that I don't think he would. I was surprised Daniels didn't get yanked a couple times this season. So I, I think have. with Kingsbury, he'd yank him. The other two options that could happen here, Alicia, would be a grad transfer or, um, and I noticed that USC's recruiting rankings this year uh, in the players that you've brought in so far, there isn't that stereotypical five-star elite quarterback. And I know that the quarterback class this year isn't as strong as it's been in past years, but is there anybody that you see or you've heard of SC targeting that is either a freshman or a grad transfer? It, that would be, I mean, man... I guess, I, well, I guess at USC, you can always say, look, we're SC, we're always going to take the best talent. But if you're JT Daniels and, and Kingsbury goes out and, and picks off one of the best quarterbacks, I will cover USC all offseason. There will be blood in the QB room water if USC took a grad transfer. Like, sign me up. We'll do a whole podcast about it. Like, yeah, I guess it'd be more on the freshman side. But, but I don't well, know. What do you think? I mean, that's the, yeah, I, I let's, let's put that down on things that are just not going to happen. I don't think there's any chance that USC goes after a grad transfer QB, but uh, the, the, the interesting thing about the recruiting this year in 2019 is that USC has had a really hard time even getting in the, getting in the door with quarterbacks because JT Daniels had come in because everyone yeah. looked at it and was like, well, JT has got this locked up for the next three years. So like, why am I going to put myself in, in that position? So USC has a commit from Keaton Slovis. Uh, from Arizona. Uh, so he's a three-star guy. And then also the one to sort of look out for is Ma- Maverick McIver. Great name. <laughs> he, he was committed. Yeah. Maverick McIver. I think that's how you say it, but either way, his first name is Maverick. So let's go there. Uh, he was committed to Texas tech and decommitted right after Kingsbury got fired. Uh. So he, and he had taken a visit to USC or like, a couple of weeks, you know, like a month earlier or something like that, just out of, out of the blue and random. Uh, so it sounds like that might be something that USC looks at with, you know, a, a Kingsbury guy from Texas tech potentially coming in. But at the same time, I don't necessarily view any 2019 quarterback uh, commits as a threat to any of the three that are currently on campus. And part of that is because as much as I wonder how much power Clay Helton will wield this year, as far as the offense is concerned, like, I I don't know. I think, I think when you look at JT, when you look at 
Fink and, and Sears, a freshman coming in and upsetting the balance of those three as far as one of them not getting the job would be pretty stunning, uh, especially if we're talking, you know, Maverick McIver is a, is a three-star, you know, nationally ranked at 762. So it's not like he's that five-star guy that you have to play him. You can sit him for a year and develop him and not upset the apple cart. Okay. All right. Uh, so, you got anything else? Rob? Oh yeah, clearly you do. Yeah. I wanted to bring <laughs> up some underappreciated terribleness on the USC offense, the offensive line. Oh Lord. Because I, I, I actually don't think that any of USC's backs are that bad. They graded out at number 96 in effective rush in beta rank this year. So that's not good. Um, USC just couldn't run the football and they returned four offensive line starters from the last year's team when they pretty much could run the football. Um, what happened with this line? Cause it's, and I don't know how many, I haven't looked at, I haven't started looking at returning production for next year yet. I'm, I'm not ready to start the off season. Um, what, I mean, what happened this year with the offensive line and, and who's back and or should USC, or did they, Have you hired a new offensive line coach yet? Yeah, we'll start with the offensive line coach. Tim Drevno was brought in as the running backs coach for 2018. And when they fired Neil Calloway, who was the offensive line coach, he slid over to be the offensive line coach. And everyone seems he was retained in that, you know, uh, 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 Black Tuesday or Unhappy Tuesday, whatever we're calling it. (laughs) He was kept on. Uh, and so the, the assumption is he will be the offensive line coach for 2019, unless Cliff comes in with his own guy. I don't know that that could still certainly happen. Um, the, Wait, the let me, let me, let me jump in real fast on that. So you have a running back coach moving to be the offensive line coach. Does he have experience coaching the offensive line? Yes. It's such a big, okay. Got it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, so he was an offensive line coach at USC under Lane Kiffin. Uh, I don't remember what year it was because everything is all blending together, but he was the offensive line coach at Michigan. He he's very experienced and generally considered to be at least decent at his job. Um, So yeah, wouldn't be the worst hire that USC's ever made as far as doing, doing the offensive line. Um, What, what the mistake USC made was hiring him as a running backs coach in the first place and not just nixing Neil Calloway from the beginning. Uh, but but that's sort of where where they're at with with him. He was an offensive line coach, and he was coaching running backs for the first time this year when USC put him in that spot. So uh, thinking about the offensive line is what went wrong. Um, what went wrong is that they were pretty mediocre last year too, and it just kind of just kind of got got uh, covered up by some of what the offense was able to do. Ronald Jones was such a special running back who uh, did did such a good job that I think he helped cover up some of the offensive line deficiencies. They've always been really erratic and, and um, either, you know, 50, 50, one play, they'll be perfect and you'll break off a 40 yard run. And the next play it's a two yard loss and you never know which one you're going to get. Um, so that that's going back to last season. Uh, the other thing was that USC, I know that I know that the line is that USC couldn't run, and I agree that there were many, many, many games where that was absolutely the fact. Uh, Texas being one of them, uh, Utah being one of them. You know, there were some there were some games where USC just couldn't get, move the ball. But at the same time, in games where USC could run, they just chose not to. And on our podcast, uh, we have a, a drop that we play from Seinfeld where 
Seinfeld is saying, I choose not to run. And it, and it's because it's true. <laughs> USC would have success running the ball and then just decide, you know what? We can't continue with this. The other team will, will try to stop us. So let's just start chucking it deep again, because that's what we're going to do. So USC was in a weird uh, situation where I don't think they trusted. I, I agree. US, I love USC's running backs. I think Sedware is really under underrated. Vivai Malapiai has been my dude since he was a freshman. I've been banging that drum from the beginning, and I, I feel like he's paying me off in, in the performances that he's put out there. Um, Stephen Carr was injured for the season, so there's there's only so much you can do there. But USC had the backs. It's just that they didn't have a Ronald Jones-level talent that forced them to give him the ball because you couldn't not give the ball to Ronald Jones. You could look at said where and go, oh, it's just kind of a kind of a um, all-around whatever kind of decent running back, and so we don't have to give him the ball, and so we choose not to. And when we do, it's on fourth and one, and we you know stack everything and invite the defense to stack the box and then get surprised when we don't convert the fourth down. Like, I don't know. I just think USC's running strategies were all wrong in 2018, and it played into um, teams knowing that, well, we can just stack the box against this team and, uh, and, and force JT Daniels to, to beat us. And also, USC is not going to run the ball when we don't stack the box. So let's just put everyone, you know, everyone out at this point, too. Like it, it sort of went both ways. And USC took the wrong strategy, no matter what the defense put in front of them. It, <laughs> I mean, Stanford, you know, USC couldn't run the ball against Stanford, except that they could. Stanford didn't look Stanford had six men in the box the entire game. And USC kept throwing it to the outside where Stanford's defensive backs were, were excellent this year. Stanford didn't take away the run. USC chose not to like it, it, it just um, not, not to get off on that tangent. It's just, this is one of my big frustrations with this offense is, is that USC basically sabotaged their run game because their offensive line was mediocre, but that was nothing new that, that the mediocre offensive line should have been able to produce a better run game in the first place if USC had just said okay fine we will run the ball and we will do it simple concepts and just go straight ahead but USC couldn't keep it that simple USC had to overcomplicate it and defenses snipped him out no fair enough well last question here before we do we'll do one trivia question we'll see how this works out Um, but at the end of the day your prediction on whether or not Clay Halton is the coach um, at the end of next season and if he isn't who are some like actual names that USC would start looking at. My prediction is that Clay Helton will be the coach at the end of next season, because I think that Cliff Kingsbury's offense will cover up a lot of the cracks and there will be enough improvement that Lynn Swan won't be incentivized to fire. Like if, if Lynn Swan wasn't going to fire Helton at five and seven, yeah, then he's not going to fire him at nine and four. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect USC to be nine and four next year, you know, a, a really unsatisfying, but still nine and four, nine and four. So I think, I think Helton has bought himself two years here with, with Kingsbury, with getting Kingsbury. Um, if USC, if it goes wrong or if the new president being installed at USC decides to push for a change because the Coliseum is totally empty and they realize that maybe they need to change to, to go ahead and revive the program that way. Then uh, some of the names, I mean, Matt Campbell is all is, Matt Campbell, Dino Babers are the, are the guys who were coming up a lot uh, this during this, um, 
when it seemed like USC might move on from Hilton, the names that will always get linked, Jack Del Rio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and to a lesser extent, Hugh Jackson and uh, Hugh Jackson and, and uh, Jeff Fisher, who of the three give me Jack Del Rio any day of the week, but give me none. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, and then, and then I'll of take course, lima you know, beans, please, out of uh, yeah. all the vegetables. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know, the, John Harbaugh. That rumor will not go away either. Um, there, there's always some pipe dreams as far as NFL coaches, and then the big one that will still continue to be around. It will never go away. Is Pete Carroll because, and I'll I'll just put this out there. Not that I think this is ever going to happen, but. Pete Carroll is one year away from being eligible for the college football hall of fame. He coached nine seasons at USC. You have to have a minimum of 10 in order to get in the college football hall of fame. If there's even the slightest chance, like I wonder if Pete might come back for a couple of years just to, uh, just to do that. If he gets sort of tired of the Seahawks, but uh, I, I feel like that feels pretty pipe dreamy to me. Yeah. I he's mean, like 75. Mac, Mac right? Hard. He did. He did. Mac Brown. Good luck. Yeah, Mac, yeah. If Mac, if Mac Brown. Lars are going it, back to the you know the old old days. Dodged a bullet there, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, would I take Mac Brown over Clay Helton right now? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the answer I, is I, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so we are we're going to try to do this once a week uh, when we do our podcast where we're going to collectively try to see if we can guess uh, five, the top five pack 12 players in a given category. So I have not looked at these numbers and, um, and we're going to do, since we've been talking a lot about rushing, it'll be rushing this year. So uh, Rob, let me, let me throw it to you. Maybe throw out two names, then Alicia throw out two names and I'll throw out two names and we'll see if we collectively can get the top five rushers by yardage this year in the pack 12. Uh, Rob, who do you have? Oh, I get to go first. That's great. Um, I'll take Eno Benjamin and Jamar Jefferson. Okay. All right. Alicia. Uh, I was, I was clinging to Jamar Jefferson. Um, yeah, I should have given it to you first. I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'll go. I don't even know if he was up there. I just got to assume miles Gaskin and I want, maybe, uh, did he have enough games? Joshua Kelly. I think that is probably one of them. Um, all right, so we have Eno Benjamin, Miles Gaskin, Jamar Jefferson, uh, the guy at UCLA. <laughs> What's his name again? I was like Josh, 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 Joshua, Joshua Kelly with an E. I had to learn how to spell his name. Yeah. Here. Not, um, Chip, not Chip Kelly's adopted son. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll take JJ Taylor, and man, that sixth one here. Uh, I'm trying to go through all the the different schools because Utah's guy got. Oh, let, let's go with uh, uh, Trayvon McMillan at uh, CU. All right, here we go. Let's check it out here. Okay, number one with 1,524 yards and 15 touchdowns. Eno Benjamin, boom, that's one. Number two, fourteen. Wow, this is this is insane that the. I knew that Benjamin and Taylor have had good years and I've been tracking their stats, but I haven't seen it in like two weeks. So um, JJ Taylor, number two with 1400 yards and six touchdowns. Number three, Jamar Jefferson. He had himself a hell of a year, 1380 yards and 12 touchdowns. Number four, Joshua Kelly. I swear, I swear in my life. I did not, I did not look these up before we did this. Joshua Kelly, 1243 yards, 12 touchdowns. Number five, Miles Gaskin out of Washington, 1147 yards, 10 touchdowns. Number six, Trayvon McMillan, man, 1009 yards. (laughs) We got all six of them. (laughs) We're we're geniuses. Yes. 
I'm going to buy myself a bottle of wine here. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't embarrass myself just now, guys. <laughs> Man, and it is it is a drop after that. It's like CJ Verdell, who is a three part of the three-headed monster, Patrick Laird, and Bryce Love coming in at ninth with 739 yards. Who mm. that? Love. Oh, Bryce Love. Um, right on. Well, Hey, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. This is a ton of fun. And where can people find you on Twitter and uh, and where, where can people find all of your wares? Yeah. On Twitter, my personal account is at penguin of Troy. Uh, and then I also run the reign of Troy Twitter account at reign of Troy. Um, you can find us on, on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash reign of Troy. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash reign of Troy. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just around the Twitters all the time. (laughs) <laughs> right on. Well, I know you have a podcast to prepare for, so we'll let you go. And then, Rob, stick on the line, and you and I will talk about the Fresno State-Arizona State game coming up. Who is a man that would risk his neck for his brother, man? Can you dig it? All right, 12-Pack Radio rolls along. Alicia is the best. I She's one of my favorite guests to have on every year, and we'll definitely continue uh, bringing her on as we talk about USC football, whether it's in the offseason or as the season rolls along. The one thing that we didn't mention is that, so obviously this uh, podcast covers like everything Pac-12 football. So you can follow us on Twitter at 12PAC Radio at 12-Pack Radio, and you can subscribe to this podcast feed uh, for free on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, any podcast catcher out there. We are there. And Rob, before we roll along, can you give the elevator pitch for the beta rank uh, advanced statistical model? I'm assuming we'll probably have some SC fans that haven't been listening to this podcast as we um, have been recording weekly over the last like three and a half months. So uh, so what do you got going on at WildcatRadioAZ.com? So uh, I run a advanced stats model. Uh, I purchase uh, and my background, I'm a data scientist. Uh, by trade. Um, so I buy uh, drive level college football data on every game from the same folks that provide uh, data to the playoff committee. Uh, and then on that, I run a multi-level hierarchical model um, that uh, gives an advantage. If you've seen something like S and P um, or some of the other advanced stats models out there, uh, this is a little bit of a more of a, uh, I would say a little more of a sophisticated approach. Uh, it's a combination of a yards and points model. Um, and in that, I, I think we provide uh, better outcomes uh, than some of the other advanced stats models out there. But um, you can see all of my numbers. Uh, I provide team-specific pages for every Pac-12 team, including the Trojans. Uh, and then, you, I, but I have, of course, in order to rank Pac-12 teams, I have to rank every team. So I have... Uh, you know, stats on every team in college football available there. Yeah. And the moment I knew that the numbers were good were, um, we had run the numbers by a couple of our uh, partners. Uh, so whether it was the dog pod or, um, Alicia Deratola at Raina Troy. And it was so funny because Alicia, we sent her the numbers before the podcast and she said, where did you get these? These are great <laughs> because, uh, SC's offense was kind of sneaky, bad last year compared to what the numbers said because they weren't incredibly efficient um, in their drive efficiency and because your model Rob focuses more on yards rather than points um, although it includes points as well but like wh- whatever you do with your wizardry like it it showed on that and in addition <laughs> to the uh, on the other front would be like Washington's defense was uh, could get off the field sometimes but some advanced statistical models didn't show that f- for whatever reason so um, 
Anyway, uh, check it out, Wildcat yeah. Radio AZ. We have all of the teams there, by the way. So um, whether you're a USC fan or a Michigan fan, you can um, you can definitely check them out, and you got some cool charts. Well, it's one thing that my model does that other models sort of don't is they'll focus just on yards or just on points. And um, my model is is a mix of the two, and, and it gives you an idea of what offenses and defenses uh, do well. Right on. So let's talk about this first matchup. Um, bowl season's so fun because we only have to cover basically one game a week so, <laughs> yeah. rather than 12 or 6. Or whatever. Kudos to us. Like, we're yeah. going to be great. Yeah, the best thing about a bad conference is you don't have as many bowl games to cover. So, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but the first one is the Las Vegas Bowl, which is December 15th, and it is a really interesting matchup. It's the Arizona State Sun Devils versus the Fresno State Bulldogs. And ASU's had uh, an interesting season this year, and they have some intriguing talent. And holy moly. Is Fresno State has just come on. Uh, what Jeff Tedford has done there to re- resurrect his career um, is quite impressive, and I think he's only like fifty-eight, so he probably has another Division One big, you know, Power Five run in him left. Uh, Fresno State eleven and two on the season with losses to uh, Minnesota. They lost by three points, and they lost by a touchdown to Boise State. They beat. UCLA, Toledo, Nevada, Idaho, Wyoming, New Mexico, Hawaii, UNLV, San Diego State, San Jose State, and Boise State to win um, the Mountain West Championship. They're facing off against uh, Arizona State, who is seven and five on the year with losses to San Diego State, Washington, Colorado, Stanford, and Oregon. All losses, Rob, were by one possession. <laughs> This season could have gone some really crazy ways. Yeah, yeah. I know. Because their wins, I didn't do the count on the wins, but I remember at least like two or three of those were by one possession, too. Uh, They had wins over Texas San Antonio, Michigan State, Oregon State, USC, Utah, UCLA, and finished the season with wins against Arizona. I am so excited about this game. This is going to be a really fun matchup. Um, Rob, what are your first impressions? And then let's get into the numbers after that. My first impressions of this game was that uh, this is a, this is a tough game for ASU. I mean, I beyond I think that I think folks can get they can do a little bit where they say, oh, like Fresno State plays in a lousy, you know, less than a Power Five conference. Like, yeah, they you know they have a lot of wins, but you know, none of those names that I mean, other than beating Boise, coming back and beating Boise and evening the score with them, um, you know, they don't have a lot of like marquee wins under their belt. Um, this Fresno State team is pretty good, and they were pretty good last year. Um, and they, they, I, I think that if you if you don't watch or follow much Mountain West football, um, when you hear Jeff Tedford's name, you tend to think of his offenses. Um, if you're a Pac-12 fan, um, both from when he was the offensive coordinator at uh, Oregon and when he was the head coach at Cal, uh, but this is a defense first team. Um, and, and was last year too. Uh, and this should be this should be an interesting matchup of strength on strength and a little bit of weakness on weakness because uh, Arizona State's a bit of an offense first team. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the key players, and then we'll talk about the advanced stats here. Fresno State, it all starts with, and if you're a Pac-12 fan, you're going to remember this name, Marcus McMarion, the uh, Oregon State quarterback who transferred out of uh, um, out of oh my gosh Corvallis <laughs> it's, yes. it's, been a, it's always a long night particularly for you Rob when we record these but it's still a long night for me as well um at Oregon State he's had this year just this year 3,400 yards 70 percent completion rate 25 touchdowns and only three interceptions that is a heck of a freaking year and on the ground 67 rushes for 253 yards and seven touchdowns so um we're talking 32 touchdowns to three interceptions for Marcus McMarion he 
he is moving this offense and he has a, a pretty good target in a guy named Keyshawn Johnson. It's spelled K-E-E-S-E-A. Yeah. So a little bit different than the other Keyshawn Johnson, but 93 receptions for 1300 yards and eight touchdowns. He's a 6'2", 200 pound uh, wide receiver. So he has some size there and that's going to put some trouble, I would assume, Rob, on ASU's uh, pass off pass defense. Yeah, I mean, the Sun Devils kind of struggled on defense this year. They were um, they improved a bit off of their last year under Todd Graham, but you know, this year they uh, they came out ranked number seventy eight in Beta Rank, and they were number ninety four against the pass. So the fact that this Fresno State team is pass first um, could uh, match up even worse for the Sun Devils. Yeah, I was interested to see the splits between their rushing and their passing. So they're ninety seventh in total rushing uh, offense in the country and then 25th in passing offense. So like you mentioned, absolutely. They're throwing the ball around the field. They got two other guys to look out for a guy named J- Jared Rice, who's their tight end. Um, pretty big guy, six, five, two He has about 600 yards on the season. And uh, Jamari Jordan, who is one of those little scat guys, five eleven, 170. You know, I was interested to see their running backs. They got three guys with more than 65 carries, but nobody with more than four, 550 yards. So they, they have a three headed monster but it's kind of like one of those little midget monsters that you find in the video games. Like not, not a huge running game. How does, I mean, ASU, how was their run defense? It it seemed like it spiked up and down over the course of the season. Where did they end up falling in terms of their defensive uh, uh, beta rank number? They ended up at number 51. um, And it's something that Danny Gonzalez and uh, his mentor, Rocky Long at San Diego state sort of hang their hat on as being able to stop the run. Um, and I, I do think that they're, 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 th- this game is going to be won and lost <clears throat> mostly by can they stop McMarion in the air and when he decides to take the ball and run it himself and call his own number, even if it's on a scramble, um, are they able to present, prevent him from picking up easy first downs? Yeah, what are um, Fresno State's key offensive metrics in beta rank on the offensive front? So they're an interesting offense. So they come in at number 58. Um, they're number 86 in drive efficiency. So they leave some money on the table. Like this, they, they do struggle to. Um, so with McMarion's really excellent completion percentage, this is probably more on their offensive play calling. Um, they're number 38 at play efficiency. So they put up a decent amount of uh, yards for play, um, even when correcting for who they're playing against. They're number 54 in explosiveness. So this is not a team that you know just blows you away and puts up points through big plays. Uh, but they don't go backward a lot um, or go three and out very often. So number 31 in negative drives. They <clears throat> played a Mountain West schedule, so they did not play the world's toughest schedule. Uh, number 87. In schedule strength, they were number number 99, an effective rush and number 23 passing the ball. So definitely a team that is uh, better and is going to rely on throwing the football. Um, they were very efficient in the red zone. And this is critical. I mean, when they got into the red zone, they put up points ranking number 11. Um, and I mean, they 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 usually had because they have such a good defense, they usually had pretty good field position. So uh, ranking number 28. So this and they didn't turn the ball over a lot, ranking just. 10th uh and just raw turnovers uh per drive so this this team doesn't make mistakes um they often they they have a very good defense and they can rely on that defense to give them good, you know a short field um and they're going to punch the ball in you know enough to beat you i mean they 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 beat ucla um 
by mostly forcing UCLA to make just horrific miscues, and then Fresno State just cashed in. Hmm. Now let's flip it on the the other side here when we're looking at ASU. So everything starts with Manny Wilkins, about 3,000 yards on the season, 63% completion, 19 touchdowns, four interceptions. He had about 400 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns on that front as well. Uh, the one thing to keep in mind is uh, Nikhil Harry is out of this game. He will not be playing to protect himself to go to the NFL. Go get paid, young man. Go get paid. Yeah. Um, so let's take a look at this passing offense, what they have now. They have Frank Darby, who tends to drop passes. Uh, and I, I'd like to see the numbers. And maybe he's only dropped a couple passes. I've watched a decent amount of ASU, and it seems like multiple big plays. I'm like, oh, he was wide open. Like, why do you got to drop that? Um, but he comes in uh, with 420 yards. Uh, through the air. He's uh, caught two touchdowns. He's six feet tall. They don't have a lot of size. I guess you can look at their new freshman kid named Brandon uh, Ayuk. I, I can't yeah. pronounce his name, but he's come on like it's particularly in the last six games, 400 yards, three touchdowns. He's six one, 200. So has some size on that front. And then Kyle Williams, this passing attack, Rob is fine. I mean, we've talked about the disinterested wide receivers that have <laughs> worn the yellow, the piss yellow and white uh, of, of Arizona State. Um, I don't know. Like, what, it's, it's um, I, I guess like, yes, they're going to run the ball, but they're going to need to pass it around. And one of the things that was so intriguing about ASU was the fact that they could and they had some talent. But without Nikhil Harry, it's, it doesn't look as impressive now. I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree. I mean, and this this ASU offense is interesting because they often do, and some of this is like we just talked about with Alicia with USC. Like they often don't do what they should do. I mean, like that Colorado game sort of comes to mind. Um, that game they lost in Boulder, they ran the ball a lot in that game, um, which was weird because Manny Wilkins and the wide receivers were absolutely torching Colorado. Um, but they really committed. I mean, they took the ball out of Manny's hands and really committed to the run. Um, you, we saw a lot of that this season. I mean, ASU was better than expected running the ball. Their offensive line isn't always great at pass blocking, and they, they mostly like to take big shots when they throw the ball. Um, so they were number 33 running the ball, number 25 throwing the ball. You expect them to take some hit on their passing efficiency with uh, Nikhil Harry sitting out. But I have some of some of their stuff that they got away with was because Nikhil Harry was so good. I, I don't I don't love some of their play calling and some of their scheme. Um, I don't know. Like Fresno State is ranks number nine against the run. Um, this could be a, with what ASU likes to do and as stubborn as they have been with it, this could be a very frustrating game. Number nine. Yeah. Like they, they like Fresno state has a legitimately very, very good defense. They have the number 14 ranked defense. And I will say, I'm not going to mention the model. If you go look at it, there's, there's another very popular advanced stat model out there. Sometimes their group of five defenses in that model get really overrated you will like my model if you look at last year it did not have wyoming in the top 10 or top five defenses in the country (laughs) (laughs) um i think rightly so um this this fresno state defense is legitimately very good um they uh they come in at number 14 they they're they're off their defensive coordinator last year got a big job i would almost expect their defensive coordinator this year to also land another big job like they've been they've been phenomenal 
and it'll be a fun matchup and it'll be interesting to see if Herm Edwards decides to stick to the ground with, you know, Benjamin, obviously, uh, he is, uh, the man, as we had talked about for a little segment, our trivia segment before this 1500 yards, five and a half yards of carry and 15 touchdowns. He also can be a threat out in the backfields, uh, to catch the ball. He has 247 passing yards and two touchdowns on that front, but he's going to run into the teeth. As you mentioned, Rob, of a really, really good defense. In addition to that, here was something that I really didn't um, anticipate. But when it comes to the secondary um, of Fresno State, they're number fourth in the nation in interceptions with 17, and they're number three with passes passes defended with 82. Now, you can count out pass deflections, and uh, it could be a totally useless stat if <laughs> the actual secondary isn't that good. right? That just yeah. means that people are just tossing it on you over and over again. So what does the secondary, um, what's their pass defensive ranking in beta rank? Uh, so against the pass, they rank number nineteen. So there are no slouches, and you see, you like the the Mountain West has a variety of different offensive schemes that you'll see, um, and some pretty exotic spreads that uh, both run the ball like UNLV, or you know throw the ball around uh, like Utah State did this season. Um, this is a this is a very very good defense. They're in a hybrid four three, um, but they you see. One of the things that people talk about if they have faced Fresno State is they really mix it up with what you see pre-snap. And you will see a lot of different fronts and a lot of moving around um, and a lot of different looks. And so uh, if there's one thing you can feel good about uh, if you're ASU coming into this game, even with the Kill Harry out, is that uh, Manny Wilkins is an extremely experienced quarterback and has seen a lot. Um, And even, you know, uh, Todd Graham used to to change up looks and blitz out of lots of different packages. So I would expect Manny Wilkins is going to handle this about as well as anyone could. Um, But I would question – you know, many that offensive line may not because um, they have struggled with pass protection with uh, what they try to do, and it's not always their fault. Like they are mostly asked to pass protect on on deep shots, um, you know, out of a uh, uh, play action off the run game. I think one of the things before we get into what the model says in terms of the win probability is that there are some really good players, individual players on this Fresno State team. You have a player like Jeff Allison, who is a junior linebacker, so he's going to be number nine. Um, he had 121 tackles, five and a half tackles for a loss and three quarterback hurries. He's six foot, 235, so pretty good uh, size. Another player to look out for is number three, Mikhail Walker. 79 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for a loss, five pass breakups five quarterback hurries two force fumbles two block kicks two interceptions and one defensive touchdown a partridge in a pear tree um he has really a hell of a year. that is a nasty year like for him uh and another cat named james bailey who's number seven uh this doesn't look as um doesn't look as impressive when you read Mikhail Walker's stat line, but <laughs> 74 tackles, nine and a half tackles for a loss, four pass breakups and an interception. So there are some decent players here individually that will make plays on this team. So keep a lookout. And I love those low numbers. That always makes me pretty excited. Um, on the other side, I mean, I guess the best player to keep a lookout for, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if there's uh, – I. I the one area where I wish I would be better at in terms of being able to evaluate talent is the cornerbacks. And you kind of just see it in the stats. Like 
Alicia was talking about Iman Marshall. I know he was awesome, but then you look at all of the people that he faced and like basically put them in a jar and poked holes in it, like and made you his yeah. own personal insect. Um, but Merlin Robinson's number eight, 77 tackles, uh, eight and a half tackles for a loss, four quarterback hurries, two punt, uh, pass breakups and a forced fumble. He's good. And he's a true freshman. He's going to, he's going to win all, all, at least all Pac 12 honors, uh, next year in the years to come. So very excited to watch him play. But anybody else we should bring up on the defensive side, Rob, for ASU? Isn't it Chase Lucas? I mean, Chase Lucas is their other corner. He had a pretty good year last year. He got thrown out a little less this year, and Robinson got targeted a bit more. But um, he he did fall off. He did have a little bit of a sophomore slump. So it's not just that Robinson, you know, had had more targets and uh, you know. But ASU is going to have to figure out a way to get pressure on the quarterback. Um, in this game. And it's, it's something that they, they really kind of struggled with this season was um, finding ways to consistently get pressure on the QB without leaving their secondary completely naked. The one person that I should mention is Jalen Harvey, who is that um, converted wide receiver who is a safety. So he's listed as questionable against Fresno state. So just keep that in mind. One thing to keep in mind, Rob, is that you said that ASU is really going to have to get to the quarterback. The one thing, weakness in this Fresno State team is that they're 10th in the nation and tackles for loss allowed at 53. So um, you can get into that backfield if you're ASU. Um, hopefully you'll have those opportunities. But what does Beta Rank say in terms of the matchup here? So the model likes Fresno, uh, roughly about a 70% win probability and about six and a half points. Um, so this is uh, this is definitely a, an uphill fight for ASU, but this isn't something where I mean, this is basically the model saying this is a one per, one possession game, which should be very familiar to the Sun Devils. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically, if ASU can win the turnover battle, which could be tough against this defense, uh, you know, but if ASU can end up like getting lucky, winning the turnover battle. Um, they could easily win this game. And if, you know, if they just play, you know, and, and execute really well and Williams and Darby have a really good game, then uh, ASU could walk away with the win. Yeah, I wanted to take Fresno State. I mean, I hope ASU wins. I want all of our Pac-12 teams to win. But um, in regards to where I'm going to put my money, um, I kind of was hoping to take Fresno State and I was hoping to see <laughs> uh, whether or not your numbers matched up with that because I'm going to take the defense like more times than not. And Fresno State has a good defense and they can move the ball a bit. I am not as big on this ASU team. Uh, they, I, I was kind of impressed with it. The, the, what's, the, what's the spread? Four and a half. Oh, I'll take, I'll take Fresno. Yeah. Um, I was gonna. Well, I was about to say I was impressed with ASU this year, but I think the expectations were so low with Herm Edwards. But um, this team looked more stable than last year. It just seemed that I understand that Herm Edwards and Todd Graham, I think, had the same finishing record before we go into this bowl game here. But it just seemed that um, it seemed that Todd Graham's teams were like a roller coaster. They were just up and down and all over the place and undisciplined and. Yet yelling on the sideline and all that stuff. Whereas with Herm, it's the same record, but it's just a little bit more calm and relaxed. And again, they lost a lot of games close. I think there were some coaching problems in some of those games in terms of the play calling, but you're going to get that with most coaching staffs. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where they go next year. And um, it'd be awesome if they win this game, but give me Fresno. And it sounds like you were doing the same, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, 
ASU, like, I think they have upside on defense. I think Danny Gonzalez is a really smart hire. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised at how good they were on offense this year. But I was flummoxed at the play calling. I agree with you at times offensively. And I am really interested to see what kind of offense Rob Likens runs without Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, just based on those two alone, you could run a pretty good offense. You should be able to. And I, I want to see what he, what he, what it looks like when he has to work for it a little harder. Because sometimes the play calling was really bad uh, this season. Yeah, there's a number of, t- uh, number of plays where you'd have the wide receiver basically run, turn around, and then jump up high on like the 30-yard line and just try to catch the ball. And by the wide receiver, I mean, like you mentioned, Nikhil Harry. So, it was uh, so weird. It was bizarre. Yeah, I was watching going, was that? Did you mean to do that? And then when you see it three or four times, you're like, oh, that's that's a designed play. <laughs> okay. And it almost never worked late in the season. Like teams really figured that one out. Um, and it was it was weird to see them keep coming back to the same stuff when, you know, like there's stuff that they could run where they were doing like a bend route or a, or a post uh, route like over the middle. Like they found guys pretty often like streaking you know, down the middle, like uncovered. I don't know. It's weird, weird offense. We'll see. Good luck running, you know, Benjamin and these guys. <laughs> uh, one more thing, I guess two more things to cover, but it's for the same team. Uh, Colorado hired Mel Tucker, the defensive coordinator at Georgia. Um, what'd you think? Props. I think it's a good hire. Um, Colorado is going in a bit of a different, der- I mean, McIntyre, I guess has a, some, defensive roots so maybe not totally different direction but um tucker should be uh you know pretty hands-on on on the defensive side of the ball as a reputation as an excellent recruiter which most people forget about with nick saban like he mostly hires dudes that uh they can coach but they can recruit first and foremost um and tucker has a reputation as an excellent recruiter that's good yeah colorado definitely needs i am interested like Elliot not being retained um I was a little surprised I mean I'm not surprised that because it's Tucker's side of the ball and he's gonna hire his guy I guess so I thought Elliot did a good job this year um with that defense and improved them incrementally um I just saw a tweeted out by Darren Chiverini that he's staying oh I saw Colorado. he was going to Kansas no Elliot's going to Kansas um Chiverini is staying and a lot of that is his reputation as a recruiter it has not been confirmed if he's going to be the offensive coordinator and that's my big question for this oh, hire because yeah. in the same way that like when Sonny Dykes was hired at Cal and it didn't quite work out because he never got the defensive side of the ball kind of figured out um who Tucker hires on offense uh, is critical and it should not be Chiverini like his his play calling was not good this year once he got into I don't know like his fourth or fifth game of the season so yeah um I, I would I do not like for Colorado fans like a lot of them were really high on Chivarini. Um He has a reputation as an excellent recruiter, and they've got a pretty decent class coming in. So I understand keeping him on for that. But um, you should all I, I would all hope for Colorado that they hire somebody else as the OC. Yeah, move him over because you don't have Montez next year. <laughs> so I think you gonna... do. Really? I think Montez comes like it seems like he's been around forever, but I think Montez is he uh, he might there's there he may dip his toes in the water about maybe going pro, um, 
But and then Roper, their their QB. I'm interested to see if the QB coach gets retained because um, I think a lot of people were really high on him and the work that he did with Montez. Um, oh, he is but, a junior. Yeah, I thought he was a senior for some reason. Good, good catch. No, he feels like Roni Turioff. Like he's been around forever. Like, <laughs> like, like, did he go on a mission and come back? Like, I feel like I've seen him. Um, yeah, I. They, they, they could be interesting. This, this could be like a really interesting team next year. Like next year, if they make a really good OC hire. Um, because I think Tucker, I think Tucker could improve this defense even further off where Elliott had them. Yeah, yeah, you can have a bounce back here. I can definitely see that. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, the only, the other thing to mention with Mel Tucker is that he is known over the course of his career as a defensive backs guy, and that is the one like uh, flag that Colorado has planted over the years is their ability to oh, yeah. get players from their defensive uh, their their defensive secondary into the NFL. I think there's seven. I have to go back and look, but I think at the beginning of this year there were seven Colorado defensive backs in the NFL, and so I think they're going to try to keep that going. So that's a nice fit too. I'm not certain if they did that on purpose, but um, it was kind of some good synergy on that front. Uh, anything else we should cover, Rob? No, I mean that was that the only Pac-12 opening this year. It was. I was trying to think. Was, Nobody yeah, was else really got surprised. fired. I mean, is it ne- is next year? Then I mean, last year has been of a bloodbath. Like, is it next year? It's a bloodbath again. I don't know. But where? I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, other than USC. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just had talked for an hour about that one. Um, But it seems like everywhere else, I mean, I don't see a scenario where Sumlin or uh, Herm get fired after two years. Utah, Willingham, Winningham safe. And then you have Colorado. They have the new guy. Um, No, it could be quiet for a little bit, at least until... Like in the same way that like Mora and Richrod and uh, Todd Graham kind of all came in together and then everybody realized it wasn't working all at the same time. (laughs) Well, you never know. Mike Leach could like, you know, sever the head of a horse and put it in the bed of Larry Scott overnight. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like at some point, like Mike Leach will take the Tennessee job. Like it's just been like. Like, how many times has he almost taken the Tennessee job? <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't that one get stopped where, like, Fulmer basically came in and said, no, no, no. Like, he literally like, tore them apart in a meeting. You can't <laughs> – you cannot be with each other in the same room. Uh, I know that there was some kibosh that's oh, been yeah. on that, but – Well, that's, that, that's funny because that story reminds me of, like, the, the story, like, uh, June Jones pretty much had a contract in hand to come to ASU. Um, and – the the same thing happened like somebody like i can't remember who it was was like this is not happening and oh it's uh it's the guy that ended up i think going to texas uh steve what's his name oh yeah he's like he like stuck a knife in his athletic director's back and it's like june jones's contract basically like they had like a memo of understanding and that got voided and then they went out and hired todd graham Mm, Um, that worked out well (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, like that, that did not pay out. And now you, the athletic director hired his good friend for well below market value that they think ASU would pay. And they're in a bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and June Jones was what, like 80 when, when he was going to ASU. <laughs> June Jones then got fired, like, like left Hawaii, like on a high. And then I think he was like seven and five his first year at, at SMU. And then was yeah. so bad, got fired. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're ASU, like you, you have to feel like you maybe dodged a bullet, I guess. 
Absolutely. Right on. Well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Rob, thanks for coming <laughs> on. on. Yeah, yeah, I know. As we, uh, as we throw, throw shade at every other team. Um, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're there. Um, we will cover every bowl game going through the bowl season, and uh, we'll try to figure out what to do in the off season. but we will provide coverage until we start up our season previews again. So if you're an SC fan, like tune in. We're excited to talk about uh, the Trojans and, and other teams in the Pac-12 and kind of bounce them off of each other in terms of how they match up. So thanks, Rob, for coming on, and we will catch you next week. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat>